a lot of exciting things coming up, not just for our kids and our families, but we also have Around the Table coming back this week, which is awesome. And even right now, today, we're like a week, you know, it's, it's a week difference. We're still reeling off that celebration, right? The celebration of the most pivotal moment in history. Was it not wonderful to see our church filled on Easter Sunday morning? It's a beautiful thing when the saints come together to worship their creator. And Easter becomes one of those days where it seems like a lot of people who maybe have been a little absent, they remember they have this family they've been maybe a little distant from, and they are like, you know what, I want to see them again. And so they come back, and that's why I've titled my message today, Family Reunion. Because that's precisely what the resurrection is for us. It's a reunion back into God's family. And I'd like to take a look today at what that means for us in the context of our modern understanding with all of us being a part of that larger family and also a part of this family. So if you would, please stand with me today. We're going to open up to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 19. Before we go there, though, if you would uh, just pray with me this morning. Father God, I invite you into this place, but I know I don't have to do that because you're already here. Spirit, we feel you today, and we thank you for being here with us. We just ask that you would move our hearts, stir us up today, Lord, that we might be moved to a new way of living, a new way of thinking. May your word inspire that in us. May we hear you speaking through your word, Father God, and if it is your will, move me out of the way. If there's something that you don't want me to say, stop me from saying it. Lord, if there's something you want me to say, make it come out of my mouth. Lord, I trust you today, and we thank you for being in this place. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching, may God add his blessing to that word. You may be seated. You know, I've uh, only been to one family reunion my entire life. I was about 12 or 13 years old. And uh, it was interesting because I was introduced to all of this extended family I had never met, you know, let alone even heard of. Didn't know these people existed. Cousins, second cousins, great aunts and uncles. It was a real eye-opener. Me being a northern city boy and a lot of them being more south, I was like, oh, life's different. A lot of people from different walks of life, different personalities and interests. I never realized how big my family actually was. And this was only on my mom's side. It was this really awesome time where I got to connect and build relationships I had a lot of fun with these people, and then I never saw them again. We didn't main con maintain contact. And to be honest with you, the joy of that experience is really nothing more than a memory at this point. It's almost 20 years ago, maybe even a little bit old, more than 20 years ago now. See, I have this awareness that they exist, 
but I certainly don't feel close to any of them. I couldn't call on any of them if I needed help. I can't share the joy of my wife or my new daughter with any of them. They're my family, but I don't really feel like they are. Now, I'm not trying to get us down, right? I'm just trying to paint a picture because I certainly have plenty of other family that I'm very close to, but not everyone does. And yet we have the church, right? You know, it's often said of the church, by becoming a Christian, you now have this chosen family. And I don't really know if that's actually correct because I think it's actually more of an implied family. It's an expected family, right? I love the passage in Hebrews because what it does is it paints very vividly for us the picture of what God was doing through the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, we often, uh, we tend to overlook this curtain referenced in verse 20 and how important it is because if you didn't know, the temple in Jerusalem at the time housed the Ark of the Covenant, the same one from back in the Exodus story. And it housed it in this place called the Holy of Holies, which was the earthly dwelling place of God's presence. And the purpose of this curtain that they're talking about was to separate this place from the rest of the temple and the rest of mankind. Because God's holy presence was so powerful, it would strike down dead anyone who entered and had not been cleansed of sin. In fact, the high priest was only permitted to enter into this place once a year to atone for all of the sins of Israel. And it was customary at that time to tie a rope around his waist just in case he was lying. Just in case there was something he had not confessed and was struck down dead, they could drag him back out. You laugh, but that's seriously what they did. It was not any ordinary curtain. This thing was about 60 feet high and about four inches thick. Sun is not getting through there. Ultimate blackout curtain. This thing was nearly indestructible. And yet at the moment of Christ's death, referenced in Matthew 27, the ground shakes and the curtain is torn in half from top to bottom. Hebrews 10 tells us we do not need a high priest anymore to intercede on our behalf because Jesus has become our high priest. The curtain and his body were torn open because God has made a new way for us to be restored back to him. Christ's death rendered everything separating us from God as needless because God had done a new thing, unleashing his presence on the world, making a way for us to be reunited back to him. And we are given the encouragement to now draw near to him, holding fast to our faith and the promises of the faithful one. God has granted us access to him. But the passage doesn't stop there because we're then encouraged to consider how to stir one another up towards love and good deeds to not only be united to him, but united to one another through him. God doesn't just give us this gift and say, okay, now, enter the holy place alone, as the high priest did, and enjoy solitude and closeness with only me. He says to live in love and community with one another. So this begs a question. When the core of our faith becomes so that we do only ever enter the holy place, this holy place, in solitude, but don't engage with our family, we following his commands rightly. See, something's happened. I don't know why, and I don't really know what it is, but in America, we have largely come to view our participation in the church 
as merely observational. You know, we can point fingers all around as to what has caused this, but if there is anything I have learned in this life, it's that when we are looking to shift blame to something, we have to look in the mirror first. We have to ask, am I the problem? Now, I've been through counseling at different points in my life for a lot of different reasons, and it's a very good thing. It's something that can be hugely enlightening. It can be growth-filled. I encourage everyone to do it, seriously. One of the most important things you learn through counseling, though, is that when you become aware of a problem in life, when it's something that you become cognitively aware of that you are an active part of, you're under obligation to do something about it. No excuses, no pointing fingers. It's up to you to root it out. And the church in America does have a huge problem disengaging from its family. We are comfortable being invisible in the church or being absent from it altogether. So we need to take a look in the mirror and do something about this. There's a vast number of people who call themselves Christians but see absolutely no need to engage with a church body. In fact, in the last few years especially, digital and online church has begun to increase in participation. Now, I see the benefit of it. I truly do, and I mean that. We have an excellent live stream, right? And I love that we have it because it provides an excellent connection point if, for some reason, someone simply just cannot be here. During the pandemic, this was required. But it existed beforehand, and it's even more popular now. And part of this is probably due to how convenient it is. But I think the larger appeal is the fact that it requires nothing of the individual in terms of personal engagement with other believers. See, for a long time, I think we viewed the advent of technology and smart devices as this innovative new thing that allowed us to be more connected than ever. And the reality, I think you'll agree with me on this, is that over the years, the past few especially, what we've seen is it's actually distanced us distanced us more than ever. And I think when we talk about blame shifting, we're quick to shift the blame in that direction, right? Oh, technology, that's the reason that nobody ever wants to do anything anymore. People would rather live online than in the real world. And maybe to an extent it's true that technology has made this easier, but anonymity has always been an idolatrous comfort, and I use that word always literally. Look at the creation account in Genesis. The first thing that Adam and Eve did, the moment they realized they had sinned, was to cover themselves up and hide from God. We crave secrecy. We desire to hide. And now, as an introvert, I can understand the appeal of being able to disappear. That surprises people to learn that I'm an introvert. They'll say, but you're so like lively and animated when you get up in front of people and kids. But the truth is, vulnerability, I feel more drained after being around groups of people for extended periods of time. And I gain energy and find peace from being in a solitary environment, engaged with solitary activities. Now, if you've met my wife, you know she's the exact opposite. We are like oil and water in that regard, and I think that's part of the reason that God brought us together. Because she's naturally an extrovert. That should not surprise anyone who has ever met her. 
She gets her energy from being around other people and engaging with them in life. And we joke all the time that when we got married, she was living under this assumption. She was gaining this new, brand new, live-in best friend to spend all of her time with. And that lasted for about a week before I said, Honey, brushing my teeth is not a spectator sport. (laughs) Now, over time... We have grown to compromise with one another, and we found a healthy balance, but it took work. Going back to the pandemic for a second, there was this joke that I saw floating around at the very beginning of it about introverts. Wait, you mean to say you're asking me to stay away from people? No problem. I really do think, though, the pandemic brought out some more of these introverted sensibilities in a lot of people and maybe made it a lot easier for us to simply just blend into the crowd. But in the church, we are not supposed to blend in. We have to find our own healthy balance. Because being an introvert or an extrovert is not a spiritual gift. God can use our personalities for the sake of his kingdom, but leaning too hard into our personality type can be detrimental to the good works that he wants to accomplish both in us and through us. It would be so easy for me to lean into my personality type and shirk away from connection with my wife, but that would be sinful. Again, I know learning this fact about me is probably shocking for some people. Pastor Adam, you're constantly trying to find new ways to connect with kids and families. You're constantly trying to find new ways to connect with the community of North Olmstead. You, you started Crossroads just so that young adults could have a way to connect with one another. You're not an introvert. But I am. People make me anxious. Exposure is uncomfortable to me. I have to embrace the Lord's calling and will on my life and surrender this to him all the time because there's a fundamental truth about my faith that I've come to understand, and that's this. Just as shirking away from my connection with my wife would be sinful, shirking away from my connection with the body of Christ is as well. Personal connection with the body of Christ is not about introverted versus extroverted personalities or personal preference or convenience. As laid out in our passage from Hebrews, it is not a suggestion. It is a command. And it is not on anyone else but me to make that connection happen. When we look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, he called people into relationship with him. He told his disciples to follow him. And this wasn't in a time where following meant clicking a button on your phone on Instagram or TikTok. It was a call to stop what they were doing. To walk with him. To live with him. And to live like him. He modeled for them how to live by having conversations with people. Asking questions and going to where people were. He took initiative and responded to people. He established common ground with them and he connected with them through their thoughts and their feelings. He met people's needs and inspired them and encouraged them in their faith. Love and good deeds, just as we are instructed in Hebrews. 
See, everything that Jesus did was setting an example for us. And he knew what we would need, which was the opportunity for encouragement and accountability for living out the faith that we claim as our own. Moreover, though, he knew that if we were going to grow in our faith, we would need to both influence and be influenced by other believers surrounding us. In his great commission, Jesus does not say, think about me sometimes and maybe talk. He says, go and make disciples. We cannot do this if we're sitting at home or we're pondering the word in solitude or we're living behind a screen. Even online discipleship, as attractive and burgeoning as it is, can only go so far. True, intentional, deep discipleship and life transformation occurs in the context of real relationships formed with other believers. It is an essential part of every Christian's life to connect with other Christians in real, tangible, relational ways. It is for this very reason we must seek out others and bring them into community through loving kindness so that they too might come to know Christ. This is the whole point. God, in his deep desire for you to be a part of his family, granted you access to him. And when the full weight of this truth comes upon us, it results in this love and these good works. It is not God's will for us to simply be drop buckets where he can pour his grace in and save it for later. We are dispensaries being filled so that we can be tapped and his grace can be poured out onto others. Now, I want to dissect this a little bit because there are a lot of people who tend to think being here on Sunday mornings is simply enough. Romans 12, 2 through 5, tells us it is not. We must change how we think and how we act. We are not to operate like the rest of the world. We are called to humble service in the body for the body. We belong to one another. We are not for ourselves. People often think of church attendance as for their own benefit, especially in American culture, a.k.a. consumer culture. Let's be real. It has become commonplace for people to come in on Sunday mornings to get their spiritual fill for the week or check off their moral box, but then they do nothing to engage or otherwise serve with the church. Based on the passage in Romans, though, church attendance and engagement are not solely for our benefit. Being a part of the body is really for the sake of serving God and serving others. So what might happen if we were to shift our church attendance from a selfish to a selfless mindset to go above and beyond simple Sunday morning attendance? To that end, 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 27, speaks to both unity and diversity within the body, and I think these words are important. We are called to unity alongside of one another, but not necessarily to be conformed to one another or uniform in appearance. The differences among church members and programs, even missions, are important and also necessary. We need each other. It is not that we should be divided, but united in our concern and our consideration for each other and the parts of the church, because if one part suffers... The whole church suffers. But if one part is glorified, the whole church is glorified. 
if we are united in Christ, we should seek to honor the entire church by engaging with its members and its programs and its missions. And you might say, I hear you, but the church doesn't really offer anything that appeals to me in this way. It's not really doing anything for me here. Well, Ephesians 4, 2 through 6 says, To be humble and gentle, bearing one another in love. Now, there are times where things in churches aren't meeting the mission, and they need to be called out. But more often than not, Christians aren't engaged in a church not because of some great sin that has taken place, but because they haven't found one that checks off all the personal preference boxes. By the way, that doesn't exist. We just are simply not willing to bear the perceived shortcomings of the church. And so we go elsewhere. Well, the worship isn't really my kind of music. Are you worshiping for God or for yourself? Well, nobody really noticed that I was there. When was the last time you reached out to someone? The preaching isn't really my style. I got a better question for you. Is the word of God being preached truthfully? Or are you looking for a show that's going to make you feel good? The church isn't meeting your needs in one way or another. Maybe that's the exact place where God is calling you into service within the church. Our mission is not to criticize, but to contribute. The point of church is not for us to have our ego stroked and our feelings appeased, but to draw us closer to God and his people. We are called to love the world that he died for and draw them into his family. When this becomes our goal, our preferences begin to matter less and less. And we contribute more and more. We take our eyes off of what we want and we start to see what others need and how we can play a part in it. See, folks, what we're talking about here is a lifestyle change through the transformational power of Jesus Christ at work in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we stir one another up to love and good works? It's right there in Hebrews. First, we must seek to spend time together. As I have said before, it is impossible for us to achieve the goal laid before us if we are absent or disengaged. We have to meet together, to be together, and work together for this to happen. And not just on Sunday mornings, but regularly as opportunities are, are presented to us. As a new father, I have developed a very sobering realization of just how quickly time moves. My daughter will be five months old tomorrow. And I cannot believe how quickly that has happened. You know, I wrote my notes, but I didn't get emotional when I was writing them. It, hit, it hits home really hard right now, how important the time I have with her actually is. My time will either be fertile soil or shallow clay for the relationship I'm seeking to grow with her. And the same is true for our time spent with the body of Christ. Second, we must seek to form a new habit. Because if being absent and disengaged is a habit, so is being connected. 
and habits develop over time through persistence. Maybe you are like me, where you, again, vulnerability, have sought and tried to lose weight. So you commit to going to the gym and buying healthy groceries and eating out less. But then after that first week, things get in the way. You feel unmotivated. You, you know, it's just easier to not because sleep is so awesome. And you're left with the same results as you've always had. You didn't form the new habit. You didn't persist. You tried. It got hard. It didn't look the way you wanted it to. The results didn't come quick enough, and so you just fell back into your old ways of doing things. We have to persist in our connection with the church, even when it gets hard, even when things don't look the way that we want it to, even when the results are not coming quick enough because habits over time yield results. And third, we must seek to encourage one another. Just as much as we have a personal responsibility to engage with the body, we have to encourage others too as well. Call up your friend who you haven't seen here in a while. Invite someone to engage with you in a Bible study. Recruit someone to serve alongside of you. Hey, tell a pastor when a message moves you to a new way of living. We should be motivated to encourage others more and more as time goes on. Don't view church with a consumer mindset. Gluttony has infected every part of our culture. Let's not also let it infect the church. We are not here to get. We are here to give. We have died to the old self and taken off the old robes and put on a new man and new clothes. Support and encourage one another. Stay in two weeks after service to support our kids. Meet with one another. Come join around the table starting this week. Make it so that Pastor Rich does not know how much dessert he needs. Give of yourself. Start tithing today. Ask how to get involved with serving today. Don't let another moment go. Because you don't show up to the family reunion and then ghost everyone. By the way, that's like millennial Gen Z talk for like no call, no show. Just probably should throw that in there. You also don't go and eat all the food on the tables and not have anything to bring yourself. You don't sit on the side and watch what everyone else is doing without engaging with anyone. That last one would be pretty creepy. So be here on Sunday mornings, yes, but also participate in what your family's doing. God went to great lengths to invite you into his family. Don't neglect it. We need you here. I need you here. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we come before you humbly. If there is any conviction in our hearts, Lord, about the fact that we may have disengaged from your family, that we have gone through the motions and that maybe we're just on the outs, maybe we're sitting in the seat right now and we're realizing this is me, Father, move us 
to connect. Move us to engage. Move us to encourage one another. To come alongside of one another. To live with one another. To be with one another. To serve one another. To love one another, Lord. May it not be a shallow understanding of your grace, but a full, deep internalizing of it. Where we recognize that you have opened your family up to us not so that we could live alone, but so that we could be amongst others. That we could share that love and spread that love and know it more deeply as time goes on. Father, convict our hearts today that we might leave this time, but not this place, without considering how to better connect with our family, how to better love our family. We thank you, Lord, for this time together today. We thank you for the blessing of your word and the truth that it brings us, Lord. And as we come before you right now in worship, we seek to lift your name high because you are such a deserving God. We thank you, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name.